Welcome to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And uh, we're going to bring on our guest in a little while, Duncan Darrow from Fighting Chance. Not our first time around with Duncan. And our first time around since we're at WLIW. That's right, since uh, WLIW-FM, Long Island's only local NPR station in Southampton Village. Uh, and we are, we are grateful to them for airing our show, which listeners supported. But... Uh, Let's talk about let's talk about fighting chance and and you know it's it's amazing. I mean, I, I have to keep reminding myself, Alec, that uh, and it sounds like a, a silly thing, but we're all so focused on COVID that we forget that you know life goes on and or or doesn't in some very tragic cases, but where people are still needing hospitals and and cancer centers. And, yeah, well, I, I think uh, it, it'd be fair to say that if you live long enough. Um, you are going to be touched by cancer in some way, either either yourself or a loved one. Mm -hmm. And um, I certainly know, you know, I, I lost my dad at 29. You lost your dad to cancer. Um, you know, we, it's, and, and for, for, for so, for the first half of my life, um, and, and, you know, cancer was like whispered. It was like not really talked about. Yeah. And, Yes. You know, like people who lean in and almost kind of say it superstitiously. Um, and then as you kind of go through life, you realize it's more and more a part of life, uh, you know, illness. And, and this is a one-way street we're on, and we're all heading somewhere. Um, and, and yet we all want to kind of grab as much life and lifestyle as possible. So one of the things I, I kind of stand in awe of Duncan and of Fighting Chance is uh, it's, it's, a, it's truly a local conversation that, that he started with, with the people that started Fighting Chance, and, and it, it's a, it, it plumes out from the East End, uh, but it really touches, I think, everybody on the planet. Absolutely, and it's, it's, I think it was part of the, or maybe one of the founders of, of the kind of new wave of thinking about cancer, which is a, it isn't a, a death sentence at all. It's, it's a way of living, and you can live with cancer um, a, a, in a very positive way with yoga and, and counseling and all of the uh, things that Fighting Chance offers mostly, I, I think, for nothing to the people who come there. So it's, it's really, um, it's so different from when we were, when we were uh, like you said, I mean, I don't think I, cancer was mentioned. I didn't know what to do when my dad was in the hospital. There were, I didn't, and that's 20 something years ago. I didn't, yeah. I mean, my dad had a 15 year ride with cancer. You know, he kept getting better. And then three years later, he'd get another form. And then, you know, but looking back, he had like a 15 year stint with cancer. It just didn't seem like it at the time. So we're going back 35 years. There just weren't those kind of, um, or at least I didn't know about any sort of resources for the, the people who were dealing with it, not just the cancer patients themselves, but the people around right. them. And, and, and I know from our previous conversation with Duncan that when, when somebody gets a diagnosis uh, and the word cancer is used, um, it, it sends a lot of people into shock. And it seems like it's a, a, an endless uh, dark sea that you have to navigate and one of the things I really love about Fighting Chance and Duncan's uh, approach to, to this conversation is he's trying to simplify it. He's trying to say, look, this is just another reality now, and there are all of these tools to use. The hardest one, uh, I, I would say, is for me self-reflectively, um, just in life, is to be an advocate for myself, to be a self-advocate, and to trust certain people. Like, who, who, who are you supposed to trust? when your life is kind of, you feel is hanging in the balance. 
And, and so I think that that's also a thing that one of the things about Fighting Chance for me uh, that um, just sounds so magnificent is that it is gentle and it does give those skills and, and, and those interpersonal skills and those internal skills, I think, uh, to be an advocate for yourself uh, is really hard for a lot of people, especially when, uh, like, like we were saying, they, they hear the word cancer and they just think um, it's over. You know, or or they come from a background of stoicism or, you know, you just you don't do for yourself. You don't take care of yourself yeah. because that's being selfish. And and it's the opposite. You know, we, we we you and I both know the lingo. I mean, you put on your own oxygen mask first before you help another person. Mm -hmm. So self-care, um, whether it's through fighting chance, uh, which offers all sorts of different. I mean, Duncan is going to say all the different resources they offer for both cancer um, people who are who are going through it and the people around them, or other ways of of self care. That it's not, you know, it's not selfish to take care of yourself. Not, and find not at all. And, and that with with the with the world we're living in, um, with the crowdsourcing of information and of resources, it's never been probably a uh, more. There are more options. Uh, there's more information. There's more conversations that may be the one that's right for a specific person. So I think that that also is something that would be great to talk to Duncan about. Um, and, and then, you know, also just running an organization. I know the last time we had Duncan on, they were about to open up their second office. Right, uh, right. In Southampton. Uh, now they have two offices. So, so it'd be great to hear about how, uh, how the organization is doing and what the challenges are there and also what, what have been some of the wonderful benefits of, of having kind of a, a longer reach. I think that's a great place to start and a great place to take a break. You're listening to Sundays on the East End. This is Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. We're coming to you on 88.3 WLIWFM. You can also stream us online at WLIWFM.org. It is listener-supported public radio. We're always open for donations. And we'll be right back after this. Serving eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, this is 88.3 WLIWFM and WLIW.org slash radio in Southampton, New York, Long Island's only NPR station. Your source for news, music, and entertainment. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Twas in another lifetime, one of toil and blood. When blackness was a virtue, the road was full of mud. I came in from the wilderness, a creature void of form. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. And if I pass this way again, you can rest assured I'll always do my best for her, on that I give my word In a world of steel-eyed death and men who are fighting to be warm Come in, she said, I'll give ya shelter from the storm We're back, Sundays on the East End. This is Bridget Leroy. And we'd like to bring our guest on, Duncan Darrow of Fighting Chance. How are you, Duncan? Uh, fine, thank you. And thanks to both of you and the station for having me back. I think it was about two years ago I was first talking to you. Yes, you were. And uh, it was a very uh, uh, 
in, uh, it was it gave so much information. I, I'm just not coming up yeah, with yeah, the right no, words. I, it was a bridge, if I may. Um, it was uh, enlightening. It was inspiring, and it was humbling. I mean, that's 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 yeah. what I felt, um, and I hope that we can have a similar conversation. So, um, first of all, just just um, where do we find you, Duncan? Where where are you at the moment? So when we talked, they were building uh, the Phillips Family Cancer Center in Southampton. I'm sure most of your viewers, you know, drive by it. They may not notice it. It's right across the street from the Ford dealership and the Hampton coffee shop. Uh, mm -hmm. set back a little bit. Uh, and as that was being built, the president of Southampton Hospital, Bob Challoner, you know, met with me. And he said, how would you like to uh, have a rent-free office there? And I said, well, that's interesting. You know, we're, we're already a storefront. Uh, of course, we would then have a second office in a hospital setting, which is pretty unusual for most storefronts. They don't, there are not that many storefronts in the healthcare space, the public health space. But in any event, we said, yeah, sure, that sounds great. And, uh, and thus ensued an awful lot of time and effort to outfit the office and hire someone and and just integrate into uh, the rhythm of Phillips, which opened about uh, 15 months ago. So your first office is still in Southampton, I'm sorry, Sag yeah, Harbor? We still have that, we still have that office um, and we still have counselors there. It really, nothing's changed about Sag Harbor, but now we have another office uh, in Phillips Suite 102. So, uh, and we have a couple different social workers that sort of go back and forth. Uh, so when someone comes into Phillips, um, they, 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 most of the time they're essentially, they're not mandated, but they, they strongly suggest you visit our office in 102. When you register, whether it's in radiation oncology, medical oncology, you get our brochure. Um, when the doctors see patients, they remind them again with a little reminder card. So it's not very hard to see that, you know, you're going to get a fair bit of a patient uh, interest in, in that office. Can I, can I just ask, like, uh, if somebody is joining us right now or has just moved sure. out here, a lot of people, I mean, what does Fighting Chance do? What do you offer for someone who has just gotten a diagnosis or is, is just undergoing chemo? Well, separate maybe patients and, and, and caregivers. But I would say the predominant kind of classic patient who calls us has just been diagnosed. Um, they may not even have an oncologist. And, uh, and they've usually been referred to us by a primary care physician. We pretty much know all of them who says, you know, there's two things you gotta do. You gotta find an oncologist or go to the one I'm recommending and you have to stop crying. Because if you're crying, you're, you're, you're just, I, I, I can see how upset you are, but that is not, you, you've got to regain some poise here because you're going to have a lot to think about. Go to Fighting Chance. So they're referred to us usually by primary care physicians. And when they come yeah. in, this is again yeah. kind of a typical patient. It's an older patient's disease, as you know, primarily. But when they come in, um, they're assigned to a counselor who's there that day. Uh, and really, most of them, the very first question is, am I going to die? If you think about it, that's a pretty profound way to begin a conversation. 
And, um, and the answer is usually no, although we have to be extremely careful about not getting into the physician's domain. So we, we try to be encouraging and optimistic but, and, and giving of hope, but we're not promising any, any medical result. Uh, and, and, you know, in a typical initial 45-minute session, you, you basically go through a box of Kleenex. I mean, these people are extremely upset. It's not just the fear of death, but I mean, the best word, which is actually where it goes back to World War II, is shell shock. I think everyone knows what that comes from, which is a violent uh, military incident. Usually, you know, something, bomb goes off near you, a jeep blows up on your way to the Baghdad air, airport, whatever it is, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're traumatized. So dealing with patient trauma is our kind of highest calling. And, uh, and then next to patient trauma is patient empowerment. So first you got to get people back to a sense of, of, of poise and, and just, you know, kind of <clears throat> equilib equilibrium. Yes. Yeah, set being centered. <laughs> enough yeah. to feel and, and then what, the metaphor we usually use, because metaphors are helpful with a lot of things, is this idea of being on a journey. <clears throat> and we usually use a river. And actually on our website, right up in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage is a lovely 60-second um, talk about the river from Brian Dennehy, who you may remember as a wonderful actor. Um, yeah. But so, so now you've given someone a way to think about where what's happening and where they're going and um, then the metaphor kind of continues you're you're in a canoe that's you in the canoe but we're in the rear navigating the canoe so we know the shoals to avoid the rocks to avoid we know the campsites the this that whatever and before you know it the patient now has a, a metaphor if you will that to, to go forward with Right, and, and uh, if you can accomplish that much in the first session, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, and it, see, it seems like, um, and I remember this from our, our, our previous conversation. You know, well, fighting chance really kind of grew out of your own experience. It did, and and it grew out of this idea that you know there there are a lot of end of life uh, hospice kind of cultures to try right. and comfort people, but there were no nothing in the space of the beginning of the journey. Right. Which isn't end of life. It's just the beginning of the next journey. Right. And it seems like that's what that uh, your your focus in fighting chances focus um, uh, is is everybody fears the unknown, and and like you said, you go into a certain kind of shell shock. There's a lot of unknown, and now all of a sudden, so you're in the back of the canoe. But what you're really doing is you're saying, you know, we're gonna we're gonna help you learn how to navigate this river. Right. And 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 over a period of time, I think people just get more comfortable with with being out on that river. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm not saying we're gonna leave the canoe to take the metaphor too far, but the patients end up knowing their way, and our, our, our point is, is, you know, is empowerment. I mean, I, when my, after my mother died of cancer in 2001, um, I wanted to do something to give back, and I became a hospice volunteer, the hospice in West Hampton, went through a very rigorous training program, spent time with patients, um, was kind of on the, I guess, the board, the fundraising board, whatever. And I got to know Priscilla Ruffin, who was a, just a very important figure 
in healthcare on the East End, recently retired. And I used to talk to her, I said, why isn't there a hospice for the first week of cancer? You know, very much the way you've set it up, you know, with someone assigned to the patient, a place they can call, you know, four times a day if they're confused. And she just said, you know, we are about end of life. And I said, you know, I'm going to leave and try to set up what I just mentioned. And uh, she said, you got to choke in red tape because people are still worried about who pays for what. And I said, well, what if it was just free? And she said, well, you go bankrupt. I said, well, you know, funnily enough, I spent my career as a bankruptcy lawyer. That doesn't really bother me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a different, that's a different lesson. <laughs> a lot of things have bothered me in life, but bankruptcy is not one of them. And, uh, and, and thus we started, you know, in a, little, in a little garage across the alleyway from the American Hotel. And, you, you know, like a lot of startups, um, you just, you, you are rushing to get to a prototype. Once you can get to a prototype where people can concretely see what it is you do, you, you will, if it's, a, if, if it's a good mission, you'll begin to get donations, word of mouth will begin to spread. And, um, you know, we, we got our little garage there, garage guys, and we fortuitously uh, hired a woman who retired from Memorial Sloan Kettering. We got a website. We wrote a guide about how to cope with cancer. And all of a sudden, that was the prototype. And it just, the, the community responded, I, I probably guess, quicker than I thought, because there was nothing in that niche. Right, right. You really, uh, you were really at the at the forefront of any kind of um, patient care rather than you right. know, end of life stuff. Yeah. And, and, you, I'm, also, I'm sorry. Can I ask something just really quick? Oh, sorry, sorry, Bridget. No, so yeah, I just wanted to ask your before I forget. Your counselors are they cancer survivors? So um, they they are. They they could be. Our current counselors are are what's called oncology social workers. So that means you've gone to social work school. You've now been licensed LCSW, which is kind of like MD, but but then you you have to spend about a year on a cancer ward. In our case, the woman, our, our most senior counselor, was at Memorial Sloan Kettering for ten years, so that's obviously a, a whole cancer ward. Amy Zachary for a little bit less time, but um, it's better to be an oncology social worker because a lot a lot of medical issues. Because again, our job is to bring poise and equilibrium to a very upset person. But a lot of the things that are generating anxiety are coming from something medical. So it's not just for the most basic thing is pain. Cancer mm -hmm. can be very painful. Uh, and then the second thing is the side effects of the drugs that kill cancer. So you, you have to know a fair bit about if you will, sort of oncology medicine to, to be an effective counselor in, in our world. And uh, so now here's another question, though, is like uh, it seems like there have been so many breakthroughs in medicine. And, and, you know, obviously because of COVID, people are focusing on vaccines and they're reading about mm -hmm. that one particular virus. Mm -hmm. But there have been so many breakthroughs in medicine when it comes to attacking cancer uh, mm -hmm. on a protein level, not on an organ by organ level, on a systemic level. There, and when I hear the word oncology, I think chemotherapy. Do, do, so I have a very simple question. Do oncologists um, handle these newer uh, uh, emerging strategies, or are they really kind of chemotherapy-centric? No, they, they, uh, 
there's two kinds. Radiation oncology is obviously radiation. You know, it's a big machine. Yeah. Medical oncology, sometimes clinical oncology, is both of those things. So traditionally, it was uh, chemotherapy. And to, to this day, about 60% in America of all people who are diagnosed with cancer get chemotherapy. About 70% get radiation. And 25%, the lucky 25%, the cancer's caught early enough that they can resect or remove the tumor. So that's surgery. With that troika, what we've added now as a kind of a fourth element is immunotherapy. And that's what you're reading a lot about. And, right. and, and these are ways of uh, triggering the body's immune system to really operate with a lot more horsepower than it traditionally has standing alone. And, and that can, um, you know, that can kill cancer. Uh, about 20% of all patients qualify for immunotherapy because it only works if you have genetic mutations. Everyone knows about your DNA. That's about, you know, a billion some genes perched on little arms. And if they're mutated in a, in a certain way, immunotherapy works. So there's that. And then beyond that, there's now, I won't go into the details, CAR-T therapy, which is kind of like a one-off uh, stem cell transplant. The issue, though, with a lot of these new therapies is that they degrade you physiologically, okay, mm. physiologically. So, you know, you're, you're taking an immunotherapy, it could be Urevoy, which is from melanoma, Keytruda, magical drug for lung cancer. And you think, wow, that's great. But, you know, after a couple months, <laughs> how long am I going to have to take this? Forever. <laughs> You know, oh my God! Well, I, not only forever, I, but I mean for a long, a long time, m months if not years. I just want to go back, uh, you know, talking about your journey. I mean, did you think, you know, twenty something years ago, like in nineteen ninety nine, that you would know this much about cancer therapies? I mean, you, your yeah, life. I would enormous. personally. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I was really trying to provide a counseling uh, business for people in my, you know broader East End community. But then, without going on too much of a, a tangent, I then started a second nonprofit, which you can Google, cancertrust.org. And, and its mission is to put together consortiums of four very high-end cancer hospitals, like Memorial, MD Anderson, whatever. Um, and uh, they sign an elaborate contract, which I can say, <laughs> I partly drafted, so I think it's pretty good, which essentially says, we're gonna find you money for a lot of your researchers, but if they get the money we find and they develop anything, just their first test, they've got to share it with every other researcher who's funded by us. That's awesome. And so uh, we took that idea, uh, almost like a new business, to a company called Celgene, which is now part of Bristol Myers, and they agreed to fund $50 million a year for 10 years. That's 500 million. And it's its third or fourth year, and it's the Columbia, Hopkins, Penn, and Sinai. And um, you know, they were they request proposals, the doctors put them in, X number are selected, so forth and so on. But they know that they've got to 
cross pollinate. And you know what? They want to, they have to share. The doctors they have to share. Yeah, want to cross pollinate. It's at the trustee level. They want to keep them in a silo because if they happen to discover the next Coke formula, they don't want another cancer center saying, well, you know, we had coffee with that guy five times. We should get 10% of the royalty. So in this model, everyone gets 25% of the royalties, whether you did anything or everything. Right. But you know, you know, it's funny, Duncan, it's like, uh, that's how I learned about this stuff. Right. But, but what, what's fascinating about that, uh, on, on a core level to me is it, it, we're always better when we work together oh. and, and when things are proprietary and we're in silos, uh, on every level, every which level, we, we always, uh, uh, never get as much as we can working together. It's, it's amazing that something that seems so simple, let's all share the ball, you know? Uh, and yet, as you're saying it, like getting hospitals and getting funds and getting uh, everybody to say, no, we're, we're going to kind of all attack this in a more communal way, that alone seems miraculous. Yeah, it took a long time. And again, I don't want to get too much off on that, but the way it came about was Fighting Chance had a number of donors on Wall Street. You could call them hedge fund managers, private equity, whatever. And they basically said, other than writing you a check, can we do anything else that's more interesting? And I said, well, why don't you have a think tank? And we set up a, a, a little place together at Michael's Restaurant. These 20 folks showed up who were, you know, really smart people. Michael's in Springs? And, no, Michael's in, uh, in New York. In the, <laughs> in the East 50s. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I had gotten to know Jim Watson, who, as you know, discovered DNA. And at the tender age of about 80, he showed up at the think tank. And everyone's wow. like, what, what, what's the old guy doing at the end of the table? What's your name? He said, Jim. He said, Jim what? He <laughs> said, Jim Watson. They said, wait, what, 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 hold it. You're not, you're, you're not the Nobel Prize DNA guy. I said, yeah, yeah, that's me. So he inspired the group. They met for six months. And when they were all done, they came back to, to me and our Fighting Chance board. And they said, we figured out how to cure cancer faster. And uh, we, it's just one word. We said, wow, okay, what's that word? And they said, collaboration. Yep. And, th and that's how the Cancer Trust collaborative model started. I, so the Fighting Chance, the Fighting Chance kind of rubric that you created, has this been, um, you know, has this, obviously it hasn't been franchised by no. you except in Sag Harbor and Southampton. Are there other places that have sort of imitated? Uh, a, uh, a, a little bit. What, what, I would, what remains different about us is what we call boots on the ground. You know, the, the most effective counseling, we believe, and I think many people would share this, is face-to-face. -face. There's a patient and there's a counselor, whether it's a psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever it is, face-to-face -face is really the gold standard. There are a lot of chat rooms. Uh, and, and right. you, Facebook groups or no, whatever. No, right. or, 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 you know, or you can, you know, you can send in a question to ABC cancer organization and they'll ABC you back. Um, but it's very hard to do face to face um, because you have to operate on a regional basis, which is what we do. And, um, you know, you can set up fighting chances all over the place. It's very, it's hard though. You've got to find someone like myself. I mean, I've been executive director, if you want to call it that, for 18 years. So I've never been paid a dime. So that, that relieves the payroll of an executive director 
out here as an expensive person. I've been the development director. That They're also not on the payroll. I mean, we do development, but not with someone. So you end up with your payroll, as they would say in movies, it's all on the screen. I mean, your, your, your payroll is all with these very high quality counselors. Um, so you have to find some people like myself, it's not impossible, who just really want to dedicate a good chunk of time. Right, and, and, but, but for, the, for, the, for the person that comes in, and, and I, I rem, I'm having actually a memory about my pop where at one point he was looking at a, a, a potential treatment and the uh, oncologist he was talking with said, you know, it has a 65% uh, efficacy rate. Okay. And, and my, my pop responded, you know, for me, it's, uh, it's all or nothing. So like, it's, I don't want to know about 65%, it's 100% or 0%. Right. And, and I thought that was so interesting even then, but it stayed with me that for the person, you know, you could talk about systemic and global things and organizations and collaborations, but how, how does a person with Fighting Chance, uh, you know, and you say you do it with, with counseling, but like how you take that person and say, okay, we're going to give you the tools so you can make the best choices. That seems to still be in, in the DNA, no pun intended, of, of the, the mission statement. Well, yeah, the type of patient you're talking about, we refer to as kill me or cure me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's a lot of people like that, you know. Yeah. I, I want to get over this or I want to exit. Yeah. Um, the, the main thing we do, we have a, a service, which is the Clinical Trials Advisory Service. I'm fairly involved in that. I've had a couple counselors over the years who are also involved. And, uh, you know, there's 1,500 clinical trials going on right now in the country uh, involving new cancer drugs. And there's a way of navigating it through the internet, which obviously we're, we're pretty good at. And, um, and so that's, that's one ray of hope, I would say. And they'll, in a clinical trial, they will tell you, you know, it's phase one, which is only 10 people. People know a lot about this from COVID. Phase two is like 100. Phase three is like 1,000. When you get to phase three, the chances are it's a good drug. And, right, right. And then you got to find yeah. where you get there and all that. We're going to take a, another little break. But when, we, when we get back, I want to hear about the growth of Fighting Chance okay. because I'd love to know like how you started and how many people you service now and all of that. It's such a fascinating discussion. And we're talking to Duncan Darrow, Executive Director of Fighting Chance. It's fightingchance.org, isn't it? Correct, www.fightingchance.org. Okay, you're listening to Sundays on the East End. We'll be right back after this. Hi, this is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to 88.3 WLIW-FM, Long Island's only NPR station. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down, come on, brothers. 
years I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to we're back. Sunday's on the East End. Bridget Leroy, WLIW-FM in Southampton Village. And we're talking with Duncan Darrow of FightingChance.org. And uh, we were just having an interesting discussion, Alec. You were talking about on the webpage. Yeah, uh, you know, you go on the webpage. You go on uh, FightingChance.org. Uh, and uh, there's, you know, it's, it's a very impressive uh, uh, webpage. Um, but uh, I clicked on a... Uh, I don't even know what the actual thing was I clicked on, but it, but it, it led me to, hold on, I'll tell you in a second. Uh, it was navigation, cutting red tape. It's, there's all of these tools, basically. This is what I just want to say. There are all of these tools that um, you can access on, on the Fighting Chance webpage, including um, a, a preface of, of what, it, you know, what it means, what is cancer, um, the, what the disease is, what the odds of survival are for, you, for the cancer you may have, Who's working on a cure? So you have that information. Uh, what are the potential treatments? What are the potential new drugs? How do you handle your insurance? Then there's this emotional side of, of how do you cope and what, what, you know, what gives you the skills to help you with your coping? Um, and, and then there's even a doctor Q&A um, and, and a thing about who pays the bills and all that stuff. But the doctor's Q&A, the, the last uh, uh, chapter, how can the patient help the doctor? And I, all of these things sound so magnificent to me because they're, they, they're, they're action steps, you know. They're empowerment. They empower the patient, first of all, with knowledge, but then also with emotional backup. So because I would think the first thing for me would be like, like when Eric got cancer. My, my husband had a lung removed a year after my father died of cancer. So that, that wasn't a very good year in, in our household. But uh, I knew nothing, you know, I mean, it was basically he was diagnosed and they kept him up at uh, Long Island Jewish. It was then I had I had no knowledge about anything. And all I wanted to do was know what was going on. Like that was the first thing. And then I needed a whole bunch of you know women to make casseroles for me. So so it's like I'm so glad that it's it's like holistic in the, in the true sense that it treats the whole patient or the whole individual, let's stop using the word patient, the whole individual who has either gotten a diagnosis of cancer or who loves someone who's gotten a diagnosis of cancer. We haven't really talked about the caregivers. Um, and I would love to hear what your take on that is, Duncan, and what Fighting Chance does there. I'll, I'll, the, the book Eric has mentioned, which is on our website, is, is called yeah. Cancer Simplified. It's a little pamphlet. You can get hard copy mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, and that is uh, the ABCs of cancer and 40 PowerPoints. You know, a lot of, it's whatever your reading level. The other two books I wanted to mention since we're into it, we have a guide uh, which is the journey step-by-step step, and it shows you the, the, the river, if you will, and all the places that you'll visit. And then we have another one, which is a phone book of only cancer-related resources on the East End. At Phillips, every patient gets these two books, every patient. So, and they're all authored by Fighting Chance. Um, so whether whether they decide to come to Fighting no, Chance no, or no. not, every, 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 right. it's a proprietary tool. It's good for everyone. Um, you asked about caregivers. 
Yes. So um, I write a I write a column. It's supposed to be every two weeks, but I miss a few weeks in uh, in this local paper. Uh, and the one I'm writing right okay. now is actually about caregivers. But um, so we've seen in 18 years about 3,000 patients. You know, the average is about 250 a year. Sometimes more when we were small. Sometimes less. Uh, of those 3,000, probably a third of them come into one of their sessions, our protocol, six sessions over two months. Um, In those six sessions, at some point they're gonna bring in, it could be a spouse, their friend, whoever is their main caregiver. And, you know, we we often say, who cares for the caregiver? (laughs) Because they are really stressed. I mean, when I was taking care of my mother, she battled cancer for 100 days. Shortly after she died, I had a heart attack. So I'm like, okay, I get it. It's stressful. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, the caregiver really they they need someone to keep an eye on them. So if you're in a family and mom has cancer and dad's taking care of her, if you're a teenage kid or even like a 12 year old or an aunt or an uncle, check check in on that person because they they really they really need a lot. I consider them the unsung hero in the war against cancer, frankly. Of course. So um, let's go back to your own your own journey. Growing up, um, we were talking about the whisper, yeah. the whisper of cancer early on, and you um, you kind of perked up a bit. Was that something that you remember from? Well, I remember, yeah, I remember as a kid, you know, people would just sort of, when you're in high school or junior high, friends of the family would just sort of disappear, and no one really said why they're gone. But we noticed it at Fighting Chance because when we opened um, for the first, say, two or three years, people would come in sort of through a back entrance, often in some sort of disguise, a hat pulled over their eye, whatever it was, glass, uh, you know, sunglasses. They did not want their friends, if you're a teacher, their fellow teachers, to know they had cancer. It was... Their employers. It was a secret. Um, right. And um, you know they take off their disguise and let and of course you can imagine they just were had tons of stuff to get off their chest, um, but yeah that that and that struck me because I don't you know you hear about whispering but I mean, these people were literally coming into our office in disguise, and and I watched over the years you know eighteen years that the, it was less and less necessary to whisper, and I think you know the disease became much. I don't want to say it just became more pre- freely discussed. Is that the way you put it? You know, and now yeah. I'd say it's it's still pretty freely discussed. But people are very paranoid with their employer. That's for sure. Yeah, still. actually, I, I remember in my dad's. Uh, he he fought his uh, cancer for about nine years, uh, and in in the course of his uh, battle, uh, he and my mom were in business together, and and out in the entertainment industry and their deals would always come up for renegotiation and they would go on such security lockdown about talking about his health because they did not want anybody in the greater entertainment world to think in any way that they were going to be closing up shop you know anytime soon that's a real real concern well you also were talking about the face-to-face and i'd like to know how you guys are kind of dealing with that in times of the pandemic so we we've gone well i just talked to one of our social workers today who's physically at phillips which takes a little bit of courage actually 
um, or a lot of courage. Um, so, you know, there have been some lockdown moments, even for Phillips. Um, and then people are, are feel, they feel locked down. I would say, you know, certainly a majority, if not a preponderance of our counseling since March, when the lockdown started, has been over the phone or Zoom. Not so much because our counselors are concerned, but the patients are. They, they really, sure. the less they travel, you know, the less they leave their house, whatever it might be, um, the better they feel. Um, right. I, I, you know, and we, but we have, we've thrived during this period. And the, the other dimension you mentioned, COVID, is, as you probably know, cancer patients are one of those groups that are at a higher risk of contracting the disease because sure. chemotherapy, which many people are on, degrades your immune system in, in a very serious way. So we, we've had a lot of counseling that's revolved around, well, I mean, panic attacks, people calling in, you know, am, am I going to get COVID if I'm on chemo? Do I stop chemo? Yeah, all, all of that. It's Oh my goodness! A lot of phone calls. And an inter interesting anecdote: shortly after the lockdown, um, Phillips was just beginning to hit its stride, and Cuomo shut down the cancer center in Port Jefferson. That's Stony Brook's main cancer center. Oh and, wow! Uh, we were all kind of called in one day, and they said they're going to export all their cancer patients. It's about fifty a day to the Phillips Center, and each one of them gets an Uber. And they go to Phillips. We're going to do two morning sessions, two evening sessions. We won't finish like eight o'clock at night. We're going to do that as long as the cancer center in Stony Brook is converted to a COVID hospital. It went on for two months. Right. Wow. Yeah. So the, you got bursting at the seams. Yeah, there. Baptism by fire. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And did you also offer the counseling sessions for well, those Stony Brook? That was a, that was a sticky wicket, uh, you know. Required some thought. We we provided it up to a limited degree, more or less, kind of a handhold, a welcome. You know, if anything's really upsetting, you call us. But each of those patients had their own social work and doctor relationships back at Stony Brook, so you you really had to be careful that you weren't just parachuting in and making things more difficult. So how, how big is the staff, approximately, of Fighting Chance? Uh, we have, uh, I guess, three professional counselors and a navigator. Um, so basically a professional staff of, of, of four. Uh, and, and you deal with 250 to 300 people a year? 300 is a rare year with 300, but between 200 and, two and 250. So, um, so we've been around, let's call it 20 years. And 20 three? times 200 would be 4,000. So you just, wow. you know, take that down a bit. It's been about 3,000. And and it's completely free? Yeah, everything is free. I mean, the counseling is free. We give you, if you're going into New York for a treatment at a New York City hospital, we give you a free jitney ticket back and forth. If you're taking the Shelter Island Ferry to go to Phillips, we'll give you a free, uh, a free ticket. For that. If you want to be in our yoga program, which is very popular. Shout out to Rodney and Colleen. Yeah, Rodney, Colleen and that, that, that's free. That's been going on for 10 years. Tuesdays and Thursdays, 2.30, yoga for cancer patients, free. That's amazing. But it's much better that way. Honestly, these people have so much to worry about. If you can just take 
you know, paying for the medical stuff off their mind, you, you'd be amazed how helpful just that alone is. You know, people come in the office for their first counseling session, they look around, uh, they go, what's, how, what's that last time? What, how much does that cost? Free. What's that? Free. For everything you see is free. <laughs> How, how do you swing that as as an organization? How do you do your? Well, I, I have to raise five hundred thousand dollars a year. That's my job, and uh, I'm I'm helped by some people, but and volunteers, board members, um, but you have fundraising events and you have uh, donations. This year, which we're ending, has been the hardest year financially for us because fundraising events have been eliminated which is about 30% of our revenues. We've had to, well, what we've actually obtained are foundation grants, which is a whole nother area, but I'm happy to say Hearst Corporation, shout out to them, donated 50,000. The Alexander Foundation, shout out 50,000. You know, so uh, we, we've done better in that area, but I'm sh every nonprofit I talked to on here, it has been brutal. Absolutely. Because fundraising events on the East End, you know, were a very festive, high profile thing. I mean, yeah. whether it's the hospital or us or anyone else, and people enjoyed them, and it was really a sad summer. All right. Well, well hopefully it'll it'll turn around soon. I was about to say the same thing. I, you know, we're we're in into winter, but I think all of the signals show uh, by next summer, hopefully. We will be returning to a sense of the life that we all were enjoying a couple of years ago. Well, we're planning, just as an example, your viewers might find this interesting. You, you already start planning events. And so we're, we're planning a couple that are outdoors, of course, because that's a safer. And the first one's Boaters Against Cancer. And you will find on Long Wharf in Sag Harbor, the Saturday before Memorial Day, about 20 really great cabin cruisers. And they'll each take four of you. Uh, and so there's 20 boats. They each have four guests. And that armada goes around Shelter Island. Oh, that's so much fun. Yeah, that is not bad. A couple hundred bucks. I'm curious, Duncan, um, since the people, since the beginning of COVID and a lot of people have moved out yeah. here, have you seen bigger numbers at Fighting yeah. Chance? Sure. I mean, not, not necessarily people with cancer, but people who who have completed treatment there's a that that group that's you know and paranoid is not really the right word but but who are concerned. extremely concerned because right. of their previous experience with the disease that's a big issue Duncan, you are one of the angels of the East End. We are, uh, again, I'm reminded of how blessed we are to have organizations like Fighting Chance out here to help uh, provide a safety net for people who are floundering um, in in fear. And um, and what you do is is truly, um, you know, if I can say God's work uh, okay. with anybody. <laughs> really. Right. And as we're winding down, Duncan, like, it, for anybody that's listening, how could they get involved? Uh, you know, how could they be a part of this conversation, uh, whether or not they are dealing with cancer themselves? Um, we, we have a, a number of volunteers and a number of things volunteers can do. So you can just call our office on Sag Harbor, 725-4646. You have to come in for an interview. We sort of have to understand where, where, where you're at. The most popular volunteer activity 
although COVID put a damper on it, is driving patients to doctor appointments. And sure. some drive them all the way into Memorial, take the whole day, come back, some just from Amagansett to Phillips, whatever it might be, or to your debt, whatever. That, that is a very rewarding activity. Um, you don't say anything. The patient just starts talking because they felt so isolated. And at the end of the day, they say, well, it's a great conversation. <laughs> you realize yeah, yeah. you haven't said anything, but you've been a good listener. And that's, that's part of, uh, that's part of but, the game. But listening is, I think, such an important part. Another thing that, that I think gets overlooked a lot is uh, that, you, that you can contribute by listening. You, you yeah, can. Yes, an empathic listener is, is very important. But there are many other things you can just call us. We're, we're always in the mood for volunteers. The last thing I'd say is, apropos your point about me and Fighting Chance, the East End has so many terrific nonprofits. I honestly believe part of what makes this part of the world special is the proliferation of nonprofits. And, um, you know, we're just, we're just blessed. I don't know. I must have been in the water supply, the drinking water. Yeah, <laughs> so shout out to all those other nonprofits and all the people like me that are busting their butt trying to do, you know, accomplish some mission. All these freaking do-gooders. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but what what you're an example of more than just having this fighting chances. You're an example of someone seeing um, a dearth of services. You know, not something that you needed, and instead of whining or moaning about it, going out and starting yeah. something. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, that. Also, you see you see out on the East End a lot people filling niches. And uh, Duncan, I can't. Thank you enough for uh, coming on Sundays on the East End. Duncan Darrow of Fighting Chance. Find him online at fightingchance.org. And uh, this has just been an illuminating conversation about something that we all grew up having whispered. Now we can talk about it on air uh, without any sort of uh, repercussions. Mm. <laughs> um, Alec, do you uh, do you have any thoughts? I'm sure you I do. I always have some thoughts. Well, here's <laughs> thank you all for listening. Duncan, thank you for coming on. Um, I, I certainly think that one of the one of the things that, that I'm hearing in this conversation is uh, that you know we are all on a river, right? And we're all kind of going along with the tide of life and the tide of community, and um, but we're not alone. And and I do think that uh, in the case of Fighting Chance, in the case of other nonprofits, it, it's an attempt to get people uh, talking, bring people together, and let and give people information that will help them navigate that their own rivers. Yep. So um, I think that that's just a brilliant thing. And uh, I hope everybody, um, you know, wear, wear, continue to wear your mask, uh, continue to practice social distancing. We're, we're getting closer. We're getting closer yep. to, to, to nailing this thing. Uh, and so I hope everybody can just be well and stay well.